0: It's another edition of Making Money with the Financial Coach, retired portfolio manager Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron and I have known each other for the better part of four decades. We like to talk about investing. So we started a podcast up to give you some financial literacy, educational, I guess is the way we want to put it. And we started talking about mining in last week's episode, Ron. And as you explained, this is a very, very big sector. Today, we're going to start off and look at construction materials from the mining sector? Where do we want to go on this one?
1: Well, one of the solutions to high unemployment, is for governments to fund infrastructure projects. And of course, there hasn't been a lot of that so far. They've been tossing money around, but I think eventually they're going to focus on the fact that if they want to keep America and Canada competitive, they've got to focus on building infrastructure. And this puts a lot of people to work, and generally infrastructure creates high-paying jobs. So there's a lot of political drive to make this happen. It's generally acknowledged that Western nations have been underspending in this area and have large what we call infrastructure deficits. In other words, they should have been spending money all along on things and haven't. So there's a backlog of projects that need to be addressed to maintain economic competitiveness. And we're talking about things like airports, dams, roads, bridges, the electrical grid, rail, And they all use construction materials like limestone, sand, and gravel. Now, politicians seem to agree that we need it, but very little legislation ever seems to get passed to move it forward. I think COVID this time is going to be different. And so if we see governments globally in a coordinated effort to increase infrastructure spending, then construction materials will just take off.
0: You know, I was watching Bill Marshall a couple of weeks. Ron, a couple—he was comparing China to the United States and how China is eating American lunch these days. He talked specifically one area: high-speed rail. And you know, you go to and, Europe and you look how, watch how people move on high-speed rail in Europe. I, I mean, it's—it's—it just seems to make so much sense that the Americans would want to do that.
1: I've had vacations in Europe, just like you have, Gord. Where, you know, I've never. I never rented a car. It was just so easy to get around on rail that that's what we did. And, you know, I mean, high-speed rail isn't for everywhere. But, for example, Vancouver down to San Diego, that's a very dense corridor. The East Coast, starting with Boston and going all the way down to Florida, is very dense. And you could have high-speed rail running up and down those two corridors easy. In Canada, you've got Ontario, Quebec, with, uh, connecting with Quebec, would be also another terrific high-speed corridor.
0: Well, Edmonton so to Calgary. Lots of room for this.
1: Yeah.
0: Edmonton to Calgary is one, right, that we talk about here in Alberta. We've talked about it for years.
1: Yeah, and nothing ever seems to get done. And of course, the more cars you get off the road, if you're worried about environmental damage, well, uh, cars not only use, take them off the road on all, also uses less fuel, but, you know, last week we talked about the environmental damage from mining, and it's considerable. So the fewer cars you have on the road, the less impact you're going to have. And so if you take a look at the construction material investments, well, there's no ETF that I could find or I'm aware of. And if you're aware of one, you know, send me some information, and uh, we can add it to a later show. But there are no construction material exchange-traded funds that I'm aware of, but there are a lot of big players. And two examples of big players in construction materials, the first would be Martin Murrieta Materials. And they've got quarries all over the U.S. And that's what they do, is they mine those uh, three minerals, sand, gravel, and limestone. And you can also look at Lafarge Wholesome, which is a huge Swiss company. It actually trades in the U.S. HCMLY is the symbol. Martin Marietta, by the way, is MLM. And so it has construction and cement-making and, cement and concrete-making plants in over 70 countries. So there's two good examples of ways to play construction materials, especially if they start taking off.
0: All right. Energy mining. Now, oh, that's a big one, <laughs> and a kind of a delicate one these days, it seems.
1: Yeah, I mean, coal, I mean, with all the environmental concerns, would you invest in coal right now?
0: Maybe if I was living in China. <laughs> I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> but there's an area you want to be really careful of. And, of course, bitumen, which is also mined, which is uh, oil, oil that's uh, impregnating sand. Well, it's been continually getting cleaner and less polluting. And the three big players in this space are Imperial Oil, IMO, Suncor, SU, and Canadian Natural Resources. And they have reserves in place and don't have much exploration risk. And even though fossil fuel demand is expected to decline at a rate of 1% to 2% a year, the lack of capital going into exploration will create supply shortages over the coming years, which will in turn produce spikes in energy and will present good trading opportunities in, in these three areas.
0: Now the other one here oh, that's, that's kind of tough, Ron, and, and is a big area of focus moving ahead is uranium, right?
1: Uranium, uh, after Fukushima became, a, I think, in pig Latin, they call it an ex Currently, uranium is trading around $29 a pound, and break-even is $50 plus. Now, new reactors are coming on stream, and inventory is being used up. And there's enough new reactors coming on stream that it will surpa- surpass the ones being com- decommissioned later in the decade you know i've seen numbers between 2025 and 2030 is when we're finally going to see the demand supply uh, balance shift and you know we're seeing these small modular reactors which are showing promise and bill gates has really been thumping the table on these things because he's saying we'll never reach our renewable energy targets unless we include uranium in the mix and so there's a number of ways to play this i mean uh... You can look at Cameco, which is CCO, uh, which is the biggest uranium miner in the world. It's a good example. And if you want to own a a unit that all they do is store yellow cake, uh, the symbol is U. And these are just good examples of investment materials in the sector or vehicles in the sector.
0: Okay, now we move on to agriculture. Big area, obviously, all over the world, and especially here in Canada, where we grow so many different cereal grains and other crops uh, and fertilizers. That's what this is all about, right?
1: If you look at nitrogen, potash, phosphate, yeah, they're the, they're the big ones. What drives the sector is, is farmer profitability. And if you look at charts over the last 40 years, which I did last week, Most of the grain crops you see are not at the top of the range, but most of them are in the top third of the range, which means that farmers are getting decent but not outstanding prices for their grain. This moderate pricing gives farmers enough income to buy more fertilizer, and every time they buy more fertilizer, demand goes up, and also it helps the price. And a big player in this area is Nutrien, NTR, good old Canadian company, and a the company merged with potash here just a while ago. And uh, Nutrien is a big player in nitrogen, potash, phosphate. And also they have retail stores all over the place. So if you're looking for a play in this sector, uh, Nutrien's just a good example. Well-diversified.
0: So now are there are some particular oddities about mining stocks that, that investors should pay attention to here?
1: Yeah, the... If you're going to invest, you have to understand the dynamics behind or what drives mining stock prices. And demand for materials follows the strengths and weaknesses in the overall economy. In other words, these stocks are cyclical. When the economy is growing, things get built and, and sold, which requires raw materials. When the economy is weak, demand collapses and prices are soft. Metal prices can move in long cycles, sometimes running a decade or more. These are called super cycles. And, but often, the cycles are short, lasting 18 months. And if you're going to get in the sector, what you have to realize, the differentiator of commodities is usually price and not technological informa- uh, innovation. The lowest cost producer is the winner. If I can produce it cheaper than you, I'm going to be the winner. The markets for particular commodities can become so oversupplied that prices stay depressed for years often below break-even. Uranium is a good example. It can remain that way for years and years and years until high-cost, high-debt producers either close, merge, or are bankrupt. So you've got to have your timing just right to play the sector gourd. Otherwise, if you don't understand the timing of the sector, stay far away.
0: So what are the investment applications of all those characteristics then?
1: Essentially, mining stocks are meant to be traded. They're not buy-and-hold securities, for example, like a a security like an insurance company or a utility stock. Mining stocks are generally cheap when they have little or no earnings. So typically, this is the inverse of how most of us look at investing. We like to buy stocks where the price-earnings ratio is low, meaning you're not paying much for a dollar's worth of earnings. Well, mining stocks are cheap when they generally have no earnings. When they have earnings... Uh, their prices are sky high. So you've got to buy them when they're cheap. Uh, This means you buy when price-earnings ratios are high and sell them when the P-E ratio is low. This is just the opposite. And most investors miss this important fact. Because everything is driven by price, you want to own the low-cost producer in the sector. Companies that have high levels of debt and little cash flow often don't survive when there's protracted downturns. So look at debt levels. If the debt is high, go elsewhere. Also, it usually takes far longer for an investment trend to play out than experts realize. And a good example of that is uranium. All the new reactors coming online was supposed to push uranium prices up years ago. But frankly, it looks like it might be another six or seven before that actually happens. So watch closely to get confirmation that things are starting to turn around before you invest, not after.
0: So when we started this series, Ron, you did mention at the front end of of the first episode, you talked about uh, commodity cycles and super cycles. That's what we're going to break this week and come back and look at in part three of our series on mining. But before we leave today, you had a pretty in-depth question sent from a listener, Jeff. Uh, I'll try to paraphrase as briefly as I can here. Finding episodes on inflation quite interesting and trying to figure out what's a good asset mix at this time is especially related to cash. He's got some ETFs and some blue chip stocks and some dividend stocks and some cash sitting around. But he's wondering, you know, what's the best asset mix right now with the way the markets are?
1: Yes, Gord, I understand that question. And the answer has to do with the fact that I personally don't spend a lot of time looking at my asset mix and looking at the market and saying, well, I want 20% cash here and I want to lower my equity uh, portfolio. I tend to asset allocate. In other words, every six months or so, I look at my portfolio and if stocks are way up and I normally have about a 60-40 mix between fixed income and uh, stocks, so if my stocks are up to 70 or 75% of my portfolio, I tend to sell them down and then reallocate the money to other sectors like fixed income or precious metals to rebalance. And that's what I would suggest that you do, rather than trying to figure out how much cash you want to have on hand, is just rebalance on a regular basis, sell off those sectors that have gained a lot, and put the money into sectors that I haven't done so well. Also, what you might consider doing, is when I can't find things to do, in other words, I'm just stuck. And right now is one of those times. I'm having a hard time figuring what's going on. So my cash tends to build up because companies I own get taken over, they pay dividends, and there's just cash being recycled into the account all the time. And that just tends to build up. So my cash position right now is probably about 20% because I'm just having a hard time finding a place to put it.
0: Okay, there you go, Jeff. Hope that gives you some direction. Remember, if you have a question, you can send it to Ron directly to us at letsmakemoney.ca and we'll try to answer it for you in an upcoming episode. You can also reach us at cfcw.com. show is called Making Money. There's a link there and the emails will come to our inbox. We thank you for joining us. We're back next week with part three of our series on mining. We hope you'll join us then. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening.